Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. We're doing a series in the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings. By the way, just want to say about Wednesday nights, lots of people, lots of energy, lots of enthusiasm. Let's keep it up. Two weeks down, six weeks to go before our break in July. And we're glad, uh, glad to see our Wednesday nights. Um, just, just a lot of buzz there on Wednesday nights. Appreciate that. So the book of Hebrews is the book of better things. It's about realizing that whatever God offers us is better than we could ever have through or in anyone or anything else. And as we come here this morning on Communion Sunday to remember Jesus Christ, it is very important that as we be mindful of him today, that we realize the message that the author of Hebrews has for us in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. I'd like to just read these verses to you this morning and then share some thoughts from God's word concerning Jesus Christ. If I had to title this message, it would be Jesus Christ, God's very best. Listen to the words of the author of the book. He says, after God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. The Son is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when he had accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus he became so far better than the angels as he inherited a name superior to theirs." The author of the book of Hebrews this morning is going to tell us these three things. If we want to hear God, we need to listen to Jesus. If we want to see God, we need to look at Jesus. If we want to worship God, we need to lift up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's very best. The book of Hebrews begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. If you thought you had tried Jesus and yet you weren't satisfied, then the author of Hebrews is here to tell us that you and I really haven't come to know Jesus, that we really haven't encountered or experienced Jesus Christ. Because when a person truly comes to know Jesus Christ, we will know that there is nothing beyond him, that he is everything that we will ever want or ever need. And that's what was happening here in the first century and why this letter was written. These people had claimed and testified that they had come to encounter, to embrace, to experience Jesus Christ. And yet they were at a place in their life where it was like, but 
I think I want to go back to the Old Testament way of doing things, or I want to experience this, or I want to try this. It, it was just like they were basically saying with their lips and their life, yeah, I've got Jesus, but I'm looking for something else. I need something else. And what the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to them is, then you really don't know Jesus. Because anyone in history, anyone in the Bible who ever truly encountered Jesus Christ and experienced him, never looked beyond him for anything or anyone else. They knew that they had come to find in him their all in all. And all that they did then for the rest of their lives, the rest of their Christian lives, was to just keep coming to know Jesus in a deeper way, to plumb the depths of Jesus Christ. Let me say this at the very outset of this message today, and it's something you're going to hear throughout this series in the book of Hebrews. And if someone was to even ask me, Jeff, why do you love this book so much? I think part of the reason is because I get to talk about my hero a lot in this book. Because the book of Hebrews is a book that is centered on Jesus Christ. And one of the things that the author is going to tell us over and over again is this. Only when Jesus Christ has his rightful place in our lives will everything else in our lives fall into its rightful place. Let me repeat that. Only when Jesus Christ has his rightful place in our lives, will everything else in our lives fall into its rightful place. Notice again that the author here is saying in these four verses, and really through verse 14, that Jesus Christ is God's very best. He is superior. He is sufficient. When you've come to know Jesus, you realize you can't get any better than Jesus. He's it. And so in the first verse and leading into the first part of verse 2, the first point that the author says is this. If you and I want to hear God, we need to listen to Jesus Christ. Can you hear his voice today? See, one of the great things about our God is he's a talking God. He's a communicating God. He's always been communicating. He's always been seeking to communicate between himself and mankind that he created. And the author of Hebrews says, back in the Old Testament times, God was speaking, he said, long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors, through the prophets. And what he's simply pointing out is, listen, God always was seeking to reveal himself to men, but in this time, in the Old Testament times, he would do so in a very true way, but it was also very partial. It was only when God spoke through Jesus Christ that his divine revelation was full and it was final. It was true, but it was also perfect 
and complete. And that's exactly what is meant by the phrase, he has spoken. And this is a phrase, folks, that you and I, even as those who claim to follow Christ, we have got to come to sort of sink our teeth into and really understand. Because it means that though God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament times, and that was true, but it was partial, and it was also progressive, it took place over a long period of time through many different ways and many different people, that it was progressive up to Christ. But the words he has spoken means that there is then no progression beyond Jesus Christ when it comes to divine revelation. Please hear me. There is no progression of divine revelation beyond Jesus Christ. And why this is so important is every world religion that has been started since Jesus Christ has been built on a faulty and false foundation because they did not believe the word of God. Meaning that once I spoke to you through Jesus Christ, there was never any need for me to speak to you in any clear way because there was no clearer, greater, more extensive, more focused way that God could speak to us other than through Jesus Christ. Think about the implications for us today even. And I'm just going to pick out two. There are a myriad that I could have picked out today. Let me start with the religion of Islam that did not believe the word of God. And they believe, the Muslims, that Jesus Christ was a prophet. They believe that he was a teacher. And they believe that God spoke through Jesus. But they do not accept this, that Jesus Christ was the final revelation and the fullest revelation of God, that there was still revelation to come. So the prophet Muhammad shows up and says, I've been given new revelation by God. And this whole religion now is built on this faulty foundation of some kind of divine revelation coming after Jesus Christ because what came through Jesus wasn't good enough. It wasn't sufficient. It wasn't final. It wasn't complete. There was more to be added. Let me talk for a moment about the Mormon religion. Same thing. They believe that Jesus Christ is a prophet, is a teacher, that divine revelation came through him, but they do not accept that he was the final divine revelation of God to men. And you see what happens when men do not accept the word of God? It opens up this door to all of these false religions and all of these false beliefs just coming into the world. So what happens? Joseph Smith shows up one day and says, I got divine revelation from God that supersedes and is superior to the revelation that came through Jesus Christ. And a whole religion now is based on the word of this one man 
Joseph Smith. That's why you'll see in their advertisements there is another testament of Jesus Christ. No, there's not. No. That means you did not believe what the author of Hebrews said, that when he said he has spoken, that meant that there is no more divine revelation coming because everything that we needed, everything that we would ever want has been found in the revelation of God to man through Jesus Christ. And that's why the author is saying, if somehow how God spoke to you through Jesus is not enough, and now you've got to go beyond Jesus to find your divine revelation, if you've got to go beyond Jesus to experience something spiritual, if, if, if you've got to go beyond Jesus to somehow encounter God, you're going to end up in a very false situation, a very unhealthy and spiritually destructive situation because the author is saying there is nothing beyond Jesus. If you want to hear God, then listen to Jesus Christ. Jesus even said, my sheep... The ones who follow me in John chapter 10 will hear my voice and they will follow me. Are you hearing the voice of your shepherd, Jesus? Today, tomorrow, next week, next year? And is the voice of Jesus enough for you? We, we've got to be careful that just like these first century Hebrews who had claimed that they had embraced Jesus Christ and encountered him and experienced him, but there had to be something more. There has to be something beyond. The author is saying, no. Jesus Christ is God's very best. And all that we ever want to hear from God, we can hear through just listening to Jesus Christ. Well, if that wouldn't be enough, he then goes on beginning in the middle of verse 2 down through really verse 4 to tell us that if we want to see God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. And he lists these what I call seven excellencies of Jesus here in verses 2 through 4. And says, just look at him. Consider him. Contemplate him. Put your mind down on Jesus Christ. Boy, that's so important today. In fact, over in chapter 2, verse 9, the author says, we see Jesus. And the word see there in verse 9 of chapter 2 doesn't mean just physically seeing with our eyes. It, it means to take thought of, to consider carefully. It's sort of why Jesus implemented the, the, the communion, the, the last supper, if you will. He said, I want you to be mindful of me. I want you to constantly consider me. I want you to draw your mind away from all distractions and think of me. Because when you and I truly see God, 
or if we want to see God, we've got to look at Jesus Christ. In fact, later on in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, where he's talking about endurance in our Christian life, he says, we must look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word looking there is a rare word in the New Testament. It's only used twice. It's the word anorapho. It simply means to look away from anyone or anything else and literally fix our gaze have a laser focus on Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews is saying that's the only way we're going to endure. Instead of getting caught up in all these other things is to develop a way of looking and never taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's why here at the Oasis, we will always, when we come together, emphasize worship and the word because they are the two vehicles that God has given us, the two instruments that can get our minds away from all these other things and get it back to where it needs to be. That's what worship and the word both do. They get us back to basically a laser focus on God. And so he tells us, First of all, that Jesus Christ is a divine inheritor of all things. One day, Jesus Christ is literally going to inherit everything that lasts. Now, the cool thing and how that applies to us is if we are connected to Jesus Christ, that means that we will share in that inheritance and we will inherit all things. Because one day, Jesus Christ will inherit all things. He also tells us that Jesus is a divine creator. That again, we didn't just evolve. We didn't just come here by accident or some chance. We were all, with the rest of creation, created by the very powerful word of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, All things in heaven and on earth were created by Jesus. There was nothing made that he did not have a hand in making. He created the world, which means he also created you and I. And he created us to know him, which is why he left the glories of heaven to come here to reveal God to us. Which leads to the next one. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of his glory. He is the divine revealer. I love the word effulgence. It speaks about sort of the the, the, the radiance, if you will, the light that comes off of something. And the author is saying, if you want to see God, again, you, you want to know the glory of God, you want a glimpse of God, all you have to do is look at Jesus. He's the radiance. He's the light of God. He also goes on to say that Jesus Christ is the divine character of God. He says he is the exact representation of his essence, his nature, his character. You want to, again, know what God's like? All you and I have to do is just simply look at Jesus. He is God. He's the, he's the perfect example of who God is, revealed to us in human form. Notice he's the divine sustainer of all things by his powerful word. He's not just like Atlas in mythology that literally like, you know, holds up the world on his back. 
The author is saying Jesus is so amazing that he literally holds all the molecules and atoms and, and, and neutrons and protons and electrons that make up everything. He holds it all together. That's why, can I tell you, as a Christian, I never worry and never have worried about the world being blown up or somehow something catastrophic happening that would bring the world to an end. Why? Because Jesus Christ will not, he will prevent that from happening. He's still got a plan for this earth. He's still going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. He's going to step in at some point if something were to happen. Because why? He's the sustainer. Not men. He is. He's the one that holds the whole universe together. He's the one that keeps, you know, some giant asteroid from coming in and landing on Earth and totally destroying it. I don't ever have to go to bed worried about that because I know Jesus is sustaining the universe. And if Jesus can sustain the universe, that also means he can sustain my life and your life as well. He can hold it together. But we've got to keep our eyes focused on him, looking unto him. The author also says he's the divine redeemer because he accomplished cleansing for sins. Only as we sung about the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to literally take away our sin. Jesus defeated sin through the sacrifice of his own body, and the shedding of his blood, he defeated sin. He not only took away sin and removed it out of our lives and wants to remove it out of our lives, but then the author says he's also the divine savior. He not only, in a sense, took away and separated us from anything that was bad or wants to do that, but he's brought in this such a great salvation to us through his once and for all sacrifice for sin. And that's why the author says he's now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 3. The divine inheritor, he's the divine creator, the divine revealer. He is the divine representation, the divine sustainer, the divine redeemer, and the divine savior. And the author is simply saying, guys, gals, if you want to see God, look to Jesus. Jesus even said that while he was here on earth. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what the Father's like. You know what the Holy Spirit's like if you just take time to look and consider and contemplate and meditate and direct your mind towards me. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Again, I think what the author is saying is, to especially his readers, saying, are you sure you know Jesus? You sure you've, you've come to know him? Because it sounds like you, you know him a little bit, but now you're starting to look past him and look at all these other things, and you're getting distracted by this and that, and you're not really settled on Jesus. He said, listen, when you come to really know who Jesus is, you'll be settled. You'll know that you can't do any better than him. 
You can't go beyond him. There's no spiritual experience that you can experience that would be greater than what you will have in him. There's no encounter with God. No, no this and that that you could ever have that you don't already have in Jesus. And then he tells us in verse 4, and why he uses the angels here is at this time in history, these Jews especially had come out of a background in the Old Testament where angels were put up on a pedestal. And it was almost like at this point they were putting angels up on a pedestal more than they were putting the Son of God Jesus where he belonged in his rightful place. Like somehow angels were even greater than Jesus. And so that's why he's in these next few verses comparing Jesus with the angels. And he's basically saying, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1, if you and I want to worship God, lift up Jesus. Even the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit that God has given us and, and is here today, if the Holy Spirit is allowed to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, he doesn't lift up himself, he lifts up Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, what do you see throughout the entire book? You see people in heaven worshiping Jesus Christ. Worthy are you, the Lamb of God. You redeemed us. You bought us with your own blood. Salvation and glory and power and honor and dominion and all of these things be yours, Jesus. The book of Revelation is nothing but a book that teaches us about the worship of Jesus Christ one day that's going to take place in the universe. Which is why Paul said to the Philippians, one day every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about Jesus. The author of Revelation, John, says, you know what the spirit of prophecy is? It is worshiping Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of prophecy. If prophecy doesn't cause us to come to our knees and to bow before Jesus and to understand who he is and what he is and to worship him, then we really, again, don't understand prophecy, John says. That's why he wrote the book of Revelation. It should stir within us a heart to worship Jesus Christ. Because he says in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 5, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's not an esteemed servant. He is the exalted Son. The author says, which of the angels did God ever say, you're my Son? And then he goes on to say in verse 6, oh, by the way, Jesus is worshipped by angels. Let all the angels of God worship him. Then in verse 7 he says, by the way, Jesus created angels to be his servants. He makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Over in verse 14, are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve those who will inherit salvation? By the way, that's you and I. If Jesus dispatches angels at times into our lives, and we maybe know it, sometimes we don't know it. Most of the time we don't know it. They are there to serve him by serving us in some way. Notice he says in verse 8, Jesus is the king eternal. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. 
Notice up there in verse 10, he says, Jesus is the author of the universe. You founded the earth in the beginning, Lord. The heavens are the works of your hand. Beginning in verse 11 down through verse 12, he says, Jesus is immutable and immortal. He says, everything in the universe one day will perish, but you will continue. Everything will grow old like a garment, like a robe. It will be folded up like a garment. It will be changed. But you, God, Jesus, you are the same. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever and your years will never run out. And then in verse 13, he says, Jesus is the Lord. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? In other words, he's saying everything one day is going to be under the authority of the feet of Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to worship God, Worship Jesus. I think for me this morning, probably the greatest struggle I had is coming out here as a mere human being and in some way, in a very fallible way, trying to communicate to people that I love about the wonder of Jesus Christ, knowing that there is no way I could even begin to scratch the surface about the wonder of Jesus Christ. But I did ask the Lord and, and I prayed for this. God, would you use me in some way to just maybe elevate Jesus in each of our minds just, just a little bit this morning? If each of us left here this morning just a little bit more in awe of Jesus, a little bit more just in wonder of Jesus. A little bit more with a heart that is willing and wanting to worship Jesus. To look at him to see God. To listen to him to hear God. Then I felt like I at least began to scratch the surface about our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Again, the author is telling us, if you thought you tried Jesus and that wasn't satisfying, that, that didn't totally fulfill you, that somehow there's still a void in your life even though you claim you have Jesus Christ, then the author of Hebrews is telling us today even, you've never really come to know Jesus. Because when a human being truly comes to know Jesus, we will come to know and understand and have the conviction that there is nothing beyond him. There's nothing greater than him. He is superior. He is sufficient. He is God's very best. And there's nothing ever, ever better than Jesus Christ. So if we have Jesus, then what we just need to focus on for the rest of our lives is committing ourselves to knowing him more and more. 
not to somehow go beyond him, not to somehow go past him, because there, there's nothing out there. And all these world religions and cults and faulty spiritual beliefs that exist in the world today, you understand now why they're all here, right? They're all here, not because maybe they don't have some esteem for Jesus in some way. But they did not believe that he was the full and final revelation of God to men. They did not believe that there could not be other divine revelation that could come later on that could supersede and be superior to Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews is laying it down very clearly. He's saying there is nothing, there is no one greater than Jesus. Nothing or no one beyond him. If you and I have him, then we've got everything and everyone we will ever need. Let's just commit the rest of our earthly lives to get to know him even better so that we can truly begin to realize what we have in him. Isn't that what Paul said? Wasn't that Paul's aim in life? He said, I have Jesus as my Savior, but my whole goal for the rest of my life is that I may know him. And the word that Paul used there was a continual, progressive, greater and greater increase in understanding of the Jesus that he already had. That should be what every Christian's goal in life is. So if that be the case, how does that translate for us today? Because today is Communion Sunday, I want to encourage us in this way. In just a moment, the worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song as you all are dismissed to go and get your elements and come back to your seat and we'll all partake of the elements together. As you walk back to that table this morning and get those elements, here's what I'd like to encourage you to think of. That as you go back and grab that which is symbolic of our Lord's body and blood. That when we take hold of that and we take that up and draw it to ourselves, that we are reminding ourselves, I've got the very best. I, I've been given the very best that I could have. I never have to have more than what I have. I just have to come to understand Jesus maybe even more, to appreciate him more to acknowledge him more, to worship him more, to understand him more. But I don't ever have to go beyond Jesus. Because if I have Jesus, then I have everything that I will ever, ever need. If you're here this morning and you've really never embraced Jesus, you've truly never asked Jesus to be your Savior, that he really has come into your life, then why not today? Because until you come to that place in your life, you will be like the rest of the people in this world. They will search and seek for all these other things to fill that void. 
that spiritual cavity. But the word of God tells us the one who can fill that spiritual cavity has already come. He's already come. And he is coming here today to say, come to me. Ask me to be your life. And I will come in and I will fulfill you and I will satisfy you and I will fill up every void you have in your life. Let's pray. God, I ask you today to take your word and remind us that Jesus Christ is the very best. God, so often as Christians, we confess that even when we have Jesus in our life, we begin to look outside of him or beyond him for other things that will fulfill and satisfy us. And so I'm asking today, God, as your people goes up to that table and takes those elements that symbolize you, your life, your body, your blood, that, God, we would remind ourselves and be mindful that I don't ever need anything beyond Jesus. That there's nothing superior to you. There's nothing more sufficient than you. There's nothing greater than you. You're everything, Jesus. And if I have you, I have all that I need. May we, Lord, all come to that place today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.